morning, everybody. Welcome. Good morning. <laughs> it's so good to be here with you. I missed you. I was out of town last weekend. I was camping with our good friends who happen to be our neighbors um, at Costa Noa, which is this Oceanside campground in Pescadero, a little bit over an hour from here. Super fun. Um, we've been doing this every summer um, for many, many years. In fact, you know how um, like Google Photos will push out a picture from X number of years ago. So one, a picture from 12 years ago just got pushed out to us this morning from this camping trip. So it's just a fun, beloved tradition. Um, and it was really nice to be able to resume it this year. We took a pause for the pandemic. Now, I will say that Costa Noa, even though it is actually glamping at its very finest, um, it's got heated bathrooms and it's got like an easy access to the ocean. Uh, I am not the biggest tent camping fan under pretty much any condition, um, but I will gladly do this every year. And I do this for two reasons, because my family loves it and because of the deep time of connecting that I get to enjoy with them as well as our neighbors every time that we go. Now, I do see these friends pretty often coming and going around the neighborhood. And the girls are here for the summer and um, Ted works from home. So I actually do get to see my family quite a bit. But for sure there's something really special that happens when we slow down and when we take in each other's presence with intention. The things that are familiar, they just come to life in new ways and jokes around the campfire are funnier than jokes around the table and we linger there too. Um, uh, the campfire, man, we'll be there for hours, but at the table, let's just say the Petersons are fast eaters. <laughs> like, we're like in and out of there pretty fast. Um, and then also when we camp, there's just something about that setting. We notice new things about each other um, particularly well. I think sometimes that the gift of slowing down and taking in is particularly magnified in the context of the beloved and the readily accessible, in that it can be treasured not only in that moment, but on the other side of the hill, as it were. That this gift, this gift that we've received, it can still be ours to enjoy as we access it in new and ongoing ways. Well, since the start of the summer, we've been walking through Psalm 23, which is a beloved passage that's pretty ubiquitous in a sense. And we've been slowing down and taking it in and stopping along the way and savoring these beautiful truths, these eternal truths found in the Lord, our shepherd, who satisfies. We've explored this passage as a journey, one that mirrors the migratory journey of a shepherd who's going from place to place in search of good pasture for the flock during the changing seasons. The psalm, it, it begins at a lush, beautiful, peaceful place of rest, a place of green pastures and quiet waters. And we've considered the way that our Lord, our shepherd, refreshes. Then the psalm progresses along a faithful and right path. Now, while we may not know where we're going all the time, that's okay. The Lord, our shepherd, does. And God, in his sovereignty, guides. 
This passage then moves to the dark valleys, and we've reflected on their importance and their inevitability. Thankfully, in the valleys, the Lord our shepherd guards. And last week, our journey took us to the tableland that had been generously prepared in advance with his protective presence and hospitality and an overflowing cup, the Lord our shepherd covers. Today, we arrive at the homestead and we'll close out what we'll see is a circuit of Psalm 23 and we will reflect on the Lord our shepherd who pursues. Now, using the shepherding metaphor as a lens for our time in this passage has been, for me, a really lovely gift. I will never look at the 23rd Psalm the same way again. And I will never look at sheep in the same way again either. <laughs> I hope that God's been meeting you in this series as well. So let's jump on into today's passage. I invite you to join me in the scriptures by turning or tapping your way to Psalm 23, verse 6, or you're welcome to follow along on the screens indoors or outdoors. Let's check it out. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, as part of our reflection on this verse, we're going to look at some of the original Hebrew. When a word is rendered differently across various translations, or when it's rendered differently across various passages within the same translation, there's an invitation to be curious and learn something new. And in that light, at the core of verse 6 here is a very interesting word. Surely your goodness and love will follow me. So follow. The Hebrew word that's translated as follow here is ordinarily rendered as pursued or chased or hunted. It's used more than 150 times in the Old Testament and it's typically used to describe being hunted by an animal or an enemy or an enemy group. For example, we see this word in the account of Abram's rescue of his nephew Lot. Genesis 14, verse 14 tells us, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. We also see this word in the account of God delivering the Israelites out of Egypt when the Pharaoh pursues them into the wilderness. Exodus 14, starting in verse 8, says, The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea. So there's an intensity associated with this word. Abram waged an all-out 300-plus person campaign to hunt down the neighboring kings and free his nephew and his nephew's family. And a furious pharaoh pulled out all of the stops to pursue the Israelites, utilizing all of his horses and his chariots, horsemen, and troops. Even the Psalm 23 author, David, used this word to describe his enemies pursuing him. 
For example, he used it in 1 Samuel 26.20 when he said the armies of Saul were pursuing him as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. So David was pursued by Saul. And the scriptures tell us that he was also pursued by the Philistines and that he was even always chased by his own family. David was hunted a lot. So David knows what this word means and he knows what it implies or suggests. And he also knows what it is to be pursued or hunted all too well. So intensity is very purposefully being communicated here in verse 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me. David's painting a picture of God pursuing him, chasing him, hunting him. And beautifully, it's God's goodness and his love that are pursuing David. Throughout this series, we've been reflecting on the needs of the sheep, their need for protection and provision, their need for guidance, given their poor eyesight, just to name a few. Now, moving an entire herd of sheep along a path with so many needs, that's no small task. And so for thousands of years, shepherds have relied upon the help of companions to move, manage, and protect their flock. And these companions are sheepdogs. A sheepdog is a sight to be held when it's at work. There's nothing like it. So let's take a look at this brief video from Sean the Sheepman and check it out. This week, Kate and Storm are going to be moving ewe lambs uh, across to where we have the stubble turnips. So they're going to have to cross three fields and a road crossing. So let's end the video, guys. Come by. Kate, come by. So, Kate and Storm, just another day in the life of them. Uh, 
As you watched that video, what did you notice about the sheepdogs? Did anything stand out to you? What's that? Energetic. Energetic. Okay. Anything else? Aware. aware. They were definitely aware. They're fast. Yeah, man, that dog cam like really accentuated it, right? Well-trained. Well yeah, they were well-trained. They were aware of what the, um, the shepherd, the handler, was saying to them. They knew exactly what that meant. Cool. And somebody said something over here, which I missed. Obedient. obedient. They were obedient. They were obedient to the shepherd, to the handler above. Such good stuff. So, yes, yeah, sheepdogs, they are... They are well-trained and obedient, they are energetic, they're tireless, they're in tune with the shepherd, and they're also in tune with the flock. Did you notice they were like catching, catching them when they were like going the wrong direction? They are vital to keeping this unit of which they are a part, tight and close, the shepherd, the sheep, Storm and Kate. They're like a, a, a unit, and, and so this task that they have, the task of a sheepdog it is not small. But when it's done properly, it's done with finesse. A well-trained sheepdog doesn't scare the flock to move them along, but rather it exercises control, which fosters the sheep moving calmly rather than running fearfully. Now, sheepdogs do this in a variety of ways. They can use slow, subtle movement and penetrating gazes or a good eye as a sheep handler would refer to it as. Sometimes these dogs even nip at the sheep, not to cause harm, but to influence a change in direction. And of course, there's running and loud, aggressive barking. Now, each of these are effective given the right context. Sheepdogs, they are in tune with the shepherd, and the shepherd is in tune with them. In fact, there's an entire vocabulary that's emerged through which the handler communicates with the dog. And we got to hear some of that from Sean the Sheepman this morning. Come by, I learned this this week, come by means to circle the sheep uh, clockwise. And way to me means to circle them counterclockwise. Steady means slow down. And when a dog hears that'll do, that means they're off the clock and their job is done. Now, building on the metaphor of the Lord as shepherd, some have likened God's goodness and love to sheepdogs. In fact, it's been proposed that David himself had this metaphor in mind when he wrote this psalm. Being a shepherd, he all but certainly had relied upon sheepdogs. In so many ways, God's goodness and love are like his sheepdogs who work tirelessly and furiously and adeptly at pursuing the flock. They keep the unit of themselves, the flock and the shepherd, close. And they're in tune with the shepherd, moving subtly and sometimes sweepingly running around and behind the flock in loud and demonstrable ways. David writes, Surely your goodness and love will follow me. Let's check out these two sheepdogs, if you will, that chase David. The Hebrew word that David uses for goodness means beautiful or pleasant, and it represents the deeply beautiful and pleasing gifts that God gives in every aspect of life, from practical to emotional, from physical to spiritual. 
Psalm 119, 68a tells us of God, you are good. What you do is good. God is good. It's core to who he is. And therefore, all that he does for his flock and gives to his flock is good. James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Everything that is good in life, it comes from God. God's goodness and his good gifts, they run deep and true. They run deeper and truer than the stuff of happiness. And so they're found not only in the pastures, but beyond them and into the dark valleys. As we reflected on a few weeks back, the valleys of life are necessary and to be expected. But thankfully, God meets us in them. This is God's goodness. Dr. Robert McKinlan, who's a former president at Columbia International University, made what I think is a really astute observation about what can be seen when shifting some words around in a sentence. For example, one could say, the Lord is my shepherd, but I am in so much pain. Or one could say, I am in so much pain, but the Lord is my shepherd. Or as another example, the Lord is my shepherd, but I'm really struggling at work or at school. Or one could say, I'm really struggling at work or at school, but the Lord is my shepherd. The sentence order, it reflects the focal point of the experience and what or whom is being depended on in an underlying way as we interact with that experience. The ache of ongoing pain, the rough situation at work or at school, the loss of something held dear, the tough stuff of life. These can so easily define the heavy moments, and they most certainly matter. But depending on God and his good gifts, that is goodness, and that is gift. And centering on God is a way to increase awareness of his good gifts because they're there, even if they're not in the form that we'd hoped or imagined. David stands in the valley of hardship many times, but the Lord is his shepherd. God's goodness always chased him, chased and brought him closer to the shepherd, whether or not he was even aware of it. God's goodness pursued or chased it, chased or hunted David all of his days. David also declares that God's love will follow him. The word translated as love here, this comes from the Hebrew word chesed. Chesed doesn't have an English equivalent, and so it cannot be captured in a single English word. Now, chesed is found many times in the Old Testament, about 250 times, from Genesis through Zechariah. To get a feel for the texture of this word, let's go ahead and check out a few of its uses. It is all over the book of Ruth, which is a moving account of love and devotion. After all of the males in this Israelite family have died in Moab, Naomi decides to return to her homeland of Bethlehem. 
After describing her daughter-in-law, Ruth's actions as chesed, and urging her to stay back in her hometown of Moab, Ruth, again, demonstrates loyal love. Even though Ruth was released from her obligations, she, she refuses to leave her mother-in-law's side. And she forgoes her homeland. She forgoes her, um, her God. She forgoes her people for, for that of Naomi's. And as others watch Ruth loyally remain by Naomi's side, they describe this as an act of chesed. In 2 Samuel, we see David extended chesed to Mephibosheth, the crippled son of Jonathan, with whom he had made a covenant. Now, Mephibosheth was also the grandson of David's enemy, his enemy Saul. And in this hereditary monarch culture, he represents a potential rival and threat to David. Nevertheless, David keeps his covenant with his friend Jonathan, and he provides a place at the king's table to his son for all of his days. We also see the word hesed twice when God described himself when he met with, with Moses on Mount Sinai to give the law a second time. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, we read, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Now this, this here is the NIV version. And we see Hasid translated as love. But as we look at some other translations of this passage, we see this word translated as unfailing love, steadfast love, great loyalty, loving kindness, and mercy. Hesed is an attribute of God as defined by God himself. And this covenant word used by God during this great covenant moment, it encompasses unfailing, steadfast, loyal, kind, and merciful love. And it is this kind of love, it is God's love that pursues David all of the days of his life. This journey, this journey that David's been charting for us, it culminates at the homestead, at the house of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the phrase, the house of the Lord, was used to refer to the place where God dwelled among his people. In the wilderness, this was the tabernacle. God shared the purpose of this tent-like structure when he gave the blueprints for it. In Exodus 25, 8, God says, Have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. God was present with the Israelites in a tangible way as they wandered through the wilderness. And then centuries later, God dwelled among his people at the temple. We read in Isaiah 56, 7, that it was a house of prayer for all the nations. Through the temple, God was present to all people from all cultures who came to be present with him and worship him. So, when David declares that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, he's referring to being in the presence of God. This is where David's goodness and love, this is where God's goodness and love will chase David. Sort of like Storm and Kate. 
those tireless and adept and furiously chasing sheepdogs that we just watched. God's goodness and love will chase David and bring him close to the shepherd. They will bring him close to the presence of God. As we reflected on last week, the Lord is not only David's shepherd, which we see in verses 1 through 4 of this psalm, he's also his host. This theme, the host theme, it begins in verse 5 and continues on through our verse today, verse 6. In the ancient Near East, hosts had the significant responsibility of providing safety and anointing, sustenance, and welcome to their guests. God, the ultimate host, will welcome David into his house or into his presence, and he will supply all of David's needs. And here, in the presence of God, David will settle in and dwell forever. The ongoing nature of goodness and mercy, which will follow David all the days of his life, which we see here in the first half of this verse, it's beautifully mirrored in the last half of this verse, as David says he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here in this verse, at the word will, we see the future tense for the very first time in this psalm. The conclusion of the psalm is forward-looking, and it reveals a promise of a future that David is claiming. Psalm 23.6 is a promise. As was mentioned at the outset of the series, the circumstances surrounding David when he wrote the psalm are unknown. Yet, the circumstances and the timeline doesn't matter to this promise because the promise is eternal. The sheepdogs of goodness and mercy, they have always brought and will always bring David home. When David was hunted by his enemies, God's goodness and love hunted him harder. When David took advantage of Bathsheba and then murdered her husband in an attempt to cover the whole thing up and run away from his problems, God's goodness and love chased him harder. This is God's goodness. This is God's love. Together they pursued, and they will always pursue David and bring him close to the Lord. Everything that David has said of the Lord as his shepherd and as his host here in the psalm is held together in this concluding verse. This unit of God's goodness and love and his presence. They work together to meet all the needs of the flock. It is through God's pursuing goodness and love and his eternal presence that he satisfies, refreshes, and guides, and guards, and covers. The end of the shepherd's psalm is the good shepherd's promise. And as was the case for David, this promise is ours to claim. We can say, even and especially in the valleys, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This promise that concludes 
the psalm, it returns us to the beginning. The, this promise, it closes and it also begins the circuit that is Psalm 23. It, in God's goodness and love and presence, we lack nothing. Highway family, God's goodness and love, they chase you. They chase you tirelessly and furiously and adeptly to bring you home. As we conclude our journey through the 23rd Psalm, we're going to pray this passage. I'll read it. And as I do, I invite you to listen to it anew and to listen for a word or a phrase from this passage that stands out for you through the movement of the Holy Spirit. Something that perhaps surfaced from slowing down and taking it in during the series in weeks past or this mo morning or perhaps this very moment. You're welcome to write that word or phrase down on the paper that you hopefully found on your seat when you arrived. And that is a opportunity to be reminded of this word or phrase and carry it with you as we are on the other side as we leave this place and go to the other side of the hill, as it were. And it's even wallet size, so if you want to carry it there, you're welcome to do that. The truths of this beloved and familiar passage, they are for you always, no matter where you may find yourself on this journey. So let's take a moment now to center ourselves and become aware of the Holy Spirit's presence with us. Feel free to close your eyes if you like. And as I read, listen for a word or a phrase that the Spirit has for you. A gift, a truth that he's inviting to carry with you as we leave this place. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.